All right, everyone, welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is a podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and just talk about YouTube and filmmaking in general. So this is another Q&A podcast. And like last time, we actually don't have any questions from our Patreon supporters. So if you'd like to join me on Patreon, one of the perks is you get to ask questions and then I read them out with your name so you get a little shout out on this podcast but this month we didn't have any other questions from our patreon which is totally fine again i don't expect every single month to have a bunch of questions from patreon if you would like to have your questions read first plus a bunch of other perks you can join me on patreon the link will be in the show notes of this episode all right so we're just going to jump right into the youtube community questions so we got a few pretty good ones here and let's just start it off the first one is Hi, Nigel. Love the channel. Is there any dream Micro Four Thirds lens that you don't have? Are there any expensive Micro Four Thirds lenses that you would like to get if money were no object? Writing to you from springtime in Uzbekistan. Uh, yeah, I would say there are a few Micro Four Thirds lenses that I would definitely like to own if I just had a bunch of money and I didn't care about the size and weight. And the two mainly would be the Panasonic 10 to 25 and the 25 to 50, because that would give me a basically equivalent of 20 to 50 and 50 to 100 which is a great focal length to have and both those lenses are constant f1.7s so those are great lenses i've never tried them myself but what i've seen uh, they look really good they're just too big for me and they're really expensive i think they're like 1500 bucks a piece so that's kind of spendy other than that i mean maybe some of the Olympus lenses, the Proline lenses, those seem really good. The 17, the 25, and the 45, I believe, like f1.2. Those lenses seem really good, but again, they're expensive and they're kind of big too. At least they're bigger than my Sigmas. So I'm pretty happy with my Sigmas and my little DJI 15. I do plan on getting the new Panasonic 9mm f1.7 when it comes out. I didn't pre-order it. I'm just going to wait until it comes out. I, I'm hoping that it's not going to like sell out the first week. It's especially since Micro Four Thirds is kind of like not as popular as it used to be. So I didn't pre-order it yet, but I'll probably order it. I think it's going to start shipping in July. Is there one area of video production that has presented more of a challenge than other aspects? How do you overcome it? Or is it still a challenge? How do you best manage it? I would say most aspects of filmmaking, I feel pretty confident in. At least I kind of know how to get the best results that I can get with the gear that I have. The one area that still frustrates me, I think the most is just audio. Audio is something that, you know, I'm still kind of trying to learning like what mics do what, you know, how to get the best audio. And I feel like I'm getting better at it slowly but surely, but it's still something that just isn't my favorite and it can really be like a pain to try to like get really good audio like right now i'm just recording into my zoom h1 in my closet because there's a lot of things in here that'll kind of dampen the echo and give me less reverb so yeah there's just a lot of things that i'm trying to like learn and get better at when it comes to audio eventually i'm probably going to end up you know purchasing a better mic for this podcast but right now this podcast is just kind of like a fun thing it's not really making me any money so i'm not going to spend any money on it right now <laughs> how would you compose and frame a shot with yourself in it and keep it cinematic if you were a solo filmmaker if you don't mind uh yeah um i would say Keeping a shot cinematic is kind of relative, it kind of based on what you think cinematic is. For me, 
you know, a lot of cinematic shots have upstage lighting, lighting that's a little bit more dramatic. Typically, when I shoot YouTube videos of myself and I'm talking to camera, you can't really backlight yourself if you're looking at the camera directly because you need to have some light hitting your face. So I like to just kind of motivate my light with natural light in my room as much as I can and then just do like Rembrandt lighting so that I have a little triangle on the opposite side of my face where the light isn't hitting. So that's just how I try to keep it cinematic and then try to do some basic three-point lighting techniques where I have a little bit of fill maybe and then a, a backlight that's kind of giving me an edge. So it is kind of hard to look cinematic when you're talking to the camera because in most movies the actors aren't looking straight into camera and you know talking to the audience. So but that's my techniques for how to try to keep it cinematic to a certain extent. Have you ever purchased slash used cine lenses in your work? What would the circumstances be for you to consider purchasing a cine lens or a set for video over using lenses designed primarily for photography? So yeah, I say the reason that I use lenses that are primarily photography lenses is mostly just because I use autofocus in my camera. So that didn't used to be the case. I used to be totally fine with buying a bunch of manual focus only lenses that were, you know, more cinema centric lenses. But now, since I have a camera that I can actually utilize autofocus with, it's so much easier to just set my camera up, frame it upright, light it, and then know that I can just rely on the autofocus of my camera. So that's why I have the Sigma lenses now. I have the 16 and the 30, and I might end up getting the 56. I guess this kind of goes into that first question that we had is I wish Sigma would make like a 10 millimeter F14 to go along with their trio. That would be perfect. You have like a 10, a 16, a 30, and a 56. That would be amazing. But yeah, I have the Sigma lenses right now, along with my little DJI 15. And again, I can do, you know, not great rack focuses, but I can do rack focuses with my touchscreen. And the only time when I would get a set of cine lenses is if I was doing a project where I was going to be behind the camera 100% of the time. You know, maybe if I was doing like a short documentary or a commercial. But even then, if I was doing a documentary where I was interviewing someone, I'd probably still use one of my photography lenses like one of my sigmas and just put face tracking autofocus on just so if the subject does move around a little bit during the interview i don't have to constantly be worrying about touching my lens or refocusing the camera i feel like autofocus is something that is looked down upon by a lot of filmmakers but once you actually use it you'll realize how good it can actually be and how much more it can free you up to do other things in the filmmaking world just like lighting and focusing on audio and stuff like that when you don't have to be focusing so much on your focus so this is kind of a long question how would you recommend building your skills and gaining experience with work on the heavy side of the work-life balance? I'm working a lot with a family to take care of and trying to stay positive slash excited about filmmaking. I've been doing vlogs for a little while and shot a couple of cinematic pieces for fun slash experience, but I'm finding it difficult to break out and gain traction so that I can migrate from my 50 plus hour a week job to full-time filmmaking. Also, a few words of encouragement or perhaps your favorite quote would be a kind gesture to, to resonate with. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, love your work and been following you for a while. Yeah, so that is something that I'm probably not super qualified to talk on just because I don't have a family nor am I working a 50-hour-a-week job to try to support them or anything like that. But what I would say is that learning filmmaking is free and you can put as much time into it as you want as far as like getting more work if you want to be like a filmmaker and work in the industry when you have time reach out to other filmmakers in your area 
because this is kind of something that I've said before in the podcast, but a lot of the work that I've gotten when I was doing freelancing came from other filmmaking friends of mine or photographer friends. A lot of my wedding gigs came from photographers that I know that I shot with before. And whenever I have gigs that come up to me that I can't do, I don't just reach out to some random person and see if they want it. Instead, I always shift the clients over to people that I know, like my friends. So I'll just say, try to get yourself plugged into the filmmaking community. And I think what you'll realize is that like most filmmakers are pretty cool people. And I feel like even if you don't have the most experience and if you're not the best filmmaker out there, a lot of, you know, the creative professionals that I've found, they will choose to work with people that they like rather than people that have the best skill and are super cocky about it. So that's, I hope, a little bit encouraging that like you don't have to have the most experience to make it in the filmmaking world. If you're just a nice and humble person that's willing to learn and wants to work hard, you'll probably get jobs and get opportunities that way. So other than that, I would just say, Keep making those vlogs, keep making those little short cinematic pieces, post them on YouTube, post them on your website if you have one, and just keep putting stuff out there because you never know who's going to see it or what opportunities could come from you posting something. So yeah, I hope that that's a little bit encouraging. Favorite thing you do when you're feeling stressed out or overworked? Yeah, I have two things that I do. I do whenever I get stressed or, you know, feel a little bit down is I run and I skateboard a lot. So running is something that I've started, you know, kind of recently in the last two years. And running is something that like, you know, you can just kind of be alone with your thoughts and just listen to music or listen to a podcast and just not have to think about anything else, anything other than you want to think about. And skateboarding is a little bit different. It's like you have to think about what you're doing. Like I have to think about what trick I'm going to do or how I'm going to, you know, shift my weight to land a trick or something like that. It keeps me very focused on what I'm doing, whereas running, it just allows me to focus on anything because I'm just kind of, you know, running through a trail and my mind can just wander. So those are two things that really help me de-stress and just they're just really fun things to do and they keep me healthy. So those are two of my favorite things to do when I'm feeling stressed out. Any tips on streamlining the editing process, especially on how to keep the quantity of shots of footage right. I usually end up with having too much footage and it really slows me down as I have to go through it all and see what's worth keeping. Many thanks from the Czech Republic. That's cool. Yeah, so the way that I do it, if I'm shooting like a short documentary or something like that, I always try to shoot like whatever interview I'm doing first and then that kind of gives me the blueprint as to what b-roll I need. So the day of then I'll kind of, you know, keep mental notes of like what the person said during the interview so I can know to try to get b-roll shots of that that just kind of helps me not just film random stuff if I was filming a wedding there are some like typical b-roll things that I always get and sometimes I would even keep a notebook of like previous weddings that I've done that I wish I got b-roll of so you can always like make little notes if you're a wedding filmmaker just like oh man in that last wedding I forgot to get a shot of the bouquet that the wife was holding like bouquet of flowers so I'm gonna get a shot of that or I forgot to get a shot of the mom or something like that like a mom reaction from the first dance so those are things that you can do when it comes to like YouTube videos uh the way that I do it is I always shoot my a-roll first and then I cut my A-roll. And then as I'm cutting my A-roll, I have a little notepad with me and I write down what B-roll I want to get that'll fit the A-roll. So that makes it really easy for me to just like look at like this worksheet of paper and it, it like basically gives me homework to do after I 
have done all my A-roll. It's like, okay, now I have all these shots that I want to get. That's usually how my day will go is I'll film my A-roll, cut it all up, and then I'll have like a notepad full of shots that I need to get for the B-roll. And then I'll just eat lunch. And then after lunch, I'll go shoot all my B-roll. So that's how I keep it organized and make sure that I don't just shoot randomly and have to go through a bunch of footage later on in my edit. So hope that helps. What's your 10-year YouTube goals or dreams? Yeah, so I've kind of mentioned this in the podcast with Nate Suela is I kind of just want to leverage my YouTube channel to hopefully get into something that's a little bit more like sustainable long-term that would maybe give me like a salary or something like that. So if I leveraged my YouTube channel to, you know, become a creative director somewhere or start doing commercials for a company or something like that, or even if it, you know, means that I start my own course website or something like that and I make money that way you know I'm 31 now and in 10 years I'll be 41 so I don't know if I'm gonna keep making YouTube videos when I'm 41 years old if I am I'm totally fine with that but it would be kind of cool to have a little bit more of like I know this is weird to say because so many people want to be YouTubers but part of me is just like it'd be kind of cool to just have like a salary job, you know, just have like a job that's gives me a little bit more stability, I guess, because in the two years that I've been full time on YouTube, like I've had highs and lows when it comes to like revenue. So if I just had like a salary that I was guaranteed, and I could just make videos for a cool company, I think that would actually be kind of sick. So who knows, I never try to like plan too far ahead because in my life, things change very rapidly. Like a year ago, I didn't think that I was gonna be living in Texas and now I'm here with 103 degree weather instead of, you know, rain and clouds up in Oregon. So, but yeah, I just try to see what, you know, doors, you know, God's gonna open for me and just not hold on to anything too tightly because things can change really quickly. <laughs> I don't have a camera I can plug a microphone into. Is there any way I can get better sound when talking on camera outside in my editing software? Or would you would it be better to get a separate audio recorder for that? I'm a beginner in photography and filmmaking and don't want to go into any extra cost getting a complicated camera. The easiest way to get better audio is just to get a external audio recorder. You could get something really cheap like a Zoom H1 or an H1N. It's actually the microphone and recorder that I'm using to record this podcast is a Zoom H1N. Uh, I think it sounds really good for a hundred bucks. The original H1 is probably even cheaper. It's probably around like 60 or $70 if you bought it off eBay. You could also just record audio straight into your phone if you have one. So if you have a camera without a, a microphone jack, you could get a really cheap, you know, TRRS lapel mic and just plug that into your phone and record audio that way and then just sync it in post. But if you do want to record better audio just into your camera, I would suggest if you have a wide angle lens, just get closer to your camera. The audio is going to sound better that way. And you can even get these sticky little fur windscreens that can go over the internal mics of your camera and just give you better audio that way so you won't have any like wind noise. But yeah, those would be my suggestions for better audio. Get an external audio recorder or just get closer to your camera. All right, so the last question for the YouTube community page is, is it better to downscale from 4K to 1080 or upscale from 1080 to 4K? Is there a difference at all and just shoot 1080p? I have a MacBook Air M1 and want to output the best looking footage, but I don't want to stress the computer. In your opinion, what would you do? I have a G85 and a GoPro 7. Thank you. Uh, yeah, if it were me, I would shoot in 4K and upload in 4K because that's just going to 
probably give you the best quality, even if you watch it in 1080p. What I did when I had a GH3 was obviously I shot in 1080p because that's the highest resolution the GH3 could shoot in but then I exported it as a 4K video. So even though it was only 1080, I exported it as a larger video file. And then when I uploaded it to YouTube, that 4K was kind of squished down, you know, and you can watch it in 1080p, which is the native resolution of the camera, but it's gonna look sharper because, you know, when you upload it to YouTube, it does a bunch of weird compression and it gives you not as good a quality as if you would upload it to like Vimeo. It's weird if you look at videos of the GH3 on YouTube and then watch them on Vimeo, it's like a night and day difference. There's this one video on Vimeo called Lake Cushman. It's actually by Caleb Babcock over from the Moment team. He put it out like a while ago, but it was with the GH3 and that footage looks amazing on Vimeo. But if you uploaded the same video to YouTube, it just wouldn't look as good. So the way to get around the poor compression of YouTube is just to try to upload the highest quality video file that you can, and hopefully YouTube will compress it less and you'll get a little bit better quality. So yeah, with a G85, shoot 4K, upload 4K. I feel like your your M1 MacBook should handle the G85 footage pretty easily. So that's what I would do. Now we have some questions that I asked on Instagram. If you do not follow me on Instagram, you can just follow me at, at Nigel Barros, all one word. The first question is, what piece of gear do you use the least? And I think I've answered this before, but the piece of gear that I use the least is my DJI Ronin SC. I love gimbals and think they're cool, but they all basically do the exact same thing. And it just kind of depends on like how big a camera you have because some can handle, you know, more weight than others. But yeah, the DJI Ronin SC is really all I need when I do need a gimbal, but most of the time I just don't use it. So that's probably something that I use the least. All right, next is Godox SL60W or do you have any other recommendations? Love your pod and your vids. Hey, thanks. If you want just the cheapest cob light out there. I think the Godox SL60W is probably your best bet, but there are other options for just a little bit more money. Small Rig just came out with a cob light. Aperture has the Amaran series, and I feel like there's even a few other ones by like WeLight or, I mean, there's a bunch of different Chinese companies that have come out with COB lights. So there's a lot of other options now. You don't have to just go with the SL60W by Godox, but that probably is going to be the cheapest, especially if you look for it used on eBay or something. So yeah, that would probably be the cheapest option, but I would say just for a little bit extra money, you might as well go with like the apertures or maybe even the small rig. I've heard a lot of people like the small rig lights. So yeah, that would be my suggestion. I personally have the Godox ML60 and the ML30. Those are my two lights and I love them both. They're super small and they get the job done, but they are not standard Bowens mount lights. So that's a little bit more limited as to what modifiers you can use on them. I just use the Fotex soft lighter as my uh, soft diffusion, but that's not gonna float everybody's boat. So yeah, I would say go with either a small rig aperture amarans or if you really want to save money yeah go with the godox sl60w all right how does your passion for skateboarding translate into your craft of filmmaking this is a good question and i think that with filmmaking it's really easy to get discouraged like when you first start out you first pick up a camera it's really easy to to like look at your footage and be like man i suck and I feel like the one thing that skateboarding has told me, there was this clip with Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock that was floating around where they were talking about skateboarders. And one of the things they said that I think is very true is how many times do skateboarders have to get something wrong before they get it right? 
they keep skating on these stairs and rails and they hurt themselves and they just keep getting back up and trying it again because they know that if they just change something, they'll get it. And when they do, that's a life lesson, right? Like you said something to that, to that point. And I think that's very true. And I think that's what skateboarding has done for me more than anything is, is that it taught me perseverance and it taught me that like, I'm going to suck at the beginning, but if I just keep at it and keep practicing, I'm going to eventually get better. That's the same thing with filmmaking. Like my stuff sucked. Like I was just like everybody else who first starts out in filmmaking. Like my stuff did not look good, but over the last 12, 15 years, my stuff like looks better. Just like when I first started skateboarding, I sucked. And it took me actually a lot longer than most people to get even halfway decent at skateboarding. But I just didn't give up and I just kept on going at it. And I think that's what skateboarding has translated into in my filmmaking is that just to keep at it and you will get better, like, you know, persevere, even though you suck. So yeah, I think that's what skateboarding has done for me the most. What Canon full frame camera is best for video and stills? I shoot 90% photos and 10% vids. So I actually know the person who's asking this question. And I think that for the type of videos that you're doing, I would suggest either the Canon EOS R. Now that will give you 4K capabilities in video. It is gonna be cropped 4K, which kind of sucks, and you're not gonna have dual pixel autofocus. But it's a great photo camera, and it has the video features that you might need. I'm pretty sure this person is asking for doing stock video. Other than the, the original R, I would say probably either the R6, or the R5, or even the R5C. The R5 and the R5C are really expensive, but the R6 is probably gonna fit your needs the most. It does have a tendency to overheat, is what I've been told, but if you're just doing like short video clips for stock websites, then yeah, I feel like the R6 is probably your best option. EM1 Mark II or EM5 Mark III? Well, I don't know much about the EM5 Mark III, but I would say that unless it has 10-bit and face detect autofocus, I would still get the EM1 Mark II. In fact, I would even get the EM1 Mark II over the EM1 Mark III because the EM1 Mark III is basically the EM1 Mark II. The only difference is that you can do 10-bit externally into an external recorder with the EM1 Mark III. But if I was gonna spend the money on an EM1 Mark III, I would just spend a little bit extra and get the new OM1 that shoots 10-bit internally and it has all the great autofocus features that the EM1 Mark II has. So I, I feel like right now, as far as like budget video cameras from Olympus, the EM1 Mark II is still the best option. The only camera that I would suggest for video over the EM1 Mark II would be the new OM1. Uh, but that one is more expensive. I think it's like, you know, 25, 2700 bucks or something like that. So the M1 Mark II, as far as Olympus cameras go, or as, I guess as far as like micro four thirds cameras with great autofocus goes, that's the one that I would pick. Workflow and artistic inspiration slash movies, books, etc. Yeah, so my workflow is basically just shoot, cut the A-roll, write down the B-roll I need, shoot the B-roll, add the B-roll in, find a song, add the titles and stuff that I need, and then export. And I usually try to figure out thumbnails and titles for my videos first before I start shooting, but that's basically my workflow. As far as movies or books, I've been really inspired by like TV shows that I've watched recently. Like I've watched some pretty really cinematic TV shows, like Under the Banner of Heaven was a good one. Candy was a good one. I think those are both on Hulu. Stranger Things is always super inspirational. It always looks super, super good. The only other show that I would say probably like inspires me the most is a show that like, I know everyone's super 
stoked about like the new seasons of stranger things but what really like gets me stoked is i'm just waiting for the new season of ragnarok which is a show on netflix that i just think is one of the most underrated shows on netflix it's a norwegian show so it's all like subbed or dubbed but man it's just it's shot so well the story is cool the actors are like brilliant like it's all people that you know you probably haven't heard of before but it's just so so good the soundtrack is amazing so yeah, Ragnarok really inspires me. All right, this question is kind of like the one earlier. How did your skateboarding background affect your filmmaking style and vice versa? So I feel like with my filmmaking style, it probably has some effect on it that I don't even realize, like really subtle things that I do. But one thing that I definitely think that skateboarding has taught me is to just be patient and, you know, hold shots for longer than I need to. And, you know, just try to look for some different angles that maybe I wouldn't have thought of before. Because in skateboarding, things can get really monotonous, you know, like you have fisheye, then you have long lens, and all the shots can look pretty similar. So trying to get more unique shots in skateboarding is something that I feel like I've tried to incorporate in like my filmmaking journey as well. And just being patient, because I feel like sometimes I'll have to wait an entire day to go out and shoot in the right light when I'm trying to make a more cinematic piece. And and when I was a skateboard filmer, like I would go out sometimes and film for nine hours and accomplish absolutely nothing. Skateboard filming takes a lot of patience because the skaters don't always land the tricks. So I think that's how it's affected my filmmaking. All right. And this is the last question from Instagram. And it is, I want to get my first camera for mostly video stuff. What is your best entry level budget choice? I would probably have to say the Panasonic G85. It's not going to have great autofocus, but it is going to give you really, really good 4k video. It's going to have great image stabilization. It has a mic jack. There's a little bit of a crop in 4k, but not that much. And it has great picture profiles and yeah, it can give you really, really good results. I still really, really liked that camera more so than the camera though. I would say invest in your lenses because I would take a GH3 with, you know, Leica Panasonic lenses over a GH6 and cheap soft lenses so that's what i would say more is like yeah your camera is important but don't neglect your lenses but yeah the g85 is probably my recommendation for a cheap camera every other camera that's cheap is gonna have some type of compromise but i feel like the g85 has the least amount of compromises if you need something with good autofocus I would say the Canon M50, but you will compromise image quality with that camera because it is only 1080p. Yeah, I hope that helps. Those are my recommendations. Okay, well, that is all the questions that I had for June. I want to thank everybody for asking. There's a lot of really good questions in there. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. We might have another guest on the podcast this month. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. I'm having a lot of fun making these podcast episodes and it's becoming something that I'm actually getting really into. So yeah, I really appreciate you listening. If you want to check out my Patreon, it'll be in the show notes below. Anyways, thanks again. And I'll check in with you all next time. Later. Later.